Good morning. It is great to see you. Just, just to let you know, just while we were worshipping there together, and Matt, Matt would have got this as well, but Matt and I both received a text from Johnny, Johnny Herring, who's pastor of the village church, saying that he's praying for us this weekend. So just that you know that, that there are people outside of ourselves who are, are praying for us. Do you know, I just, I was kind of a bit overwhelmed in the worship this morning. Thanks, Angie and the guys, doing a great job. But there's a line in the song that came, the King of heaven lives in me, lives in us. And it just hit me. The King of heaven lives in us. What an incredible truth that is. Anyway, it's got nothing to do with what I'm going to talk about, but I just, just, just kind of hit, hit me. Isn't it a joy to be together? Joy to um, have this time uh, set aside from all the things that occupy our, t- our, our lives uh, week by week, uh, just to be together. And the theme, as you've already seen, of our weekend together is growing in gospel culture. I have to say, is it, is the, is it up there? It's not. Was it not up there today? It is there. I, I, I just want to say, I, I have no, take no responsibility for the artwork. Um, it, it's, it's uh, yeah. I don't know what culture that is, but there you go. Um, <laughs> some of you I know have been listening to the podcast, You're Not Crazy. Hands up if you've listened to that at all. Good percentage in this room. If you haven't listened to it, I encourage you to listen to it. Um, uh, and encourage you because at least you're being told you're not crazy. But it's a, it's a podcast that is aimed at young pastors, um, uh, or in some cases, uh, um, the, um, experienced pastors, but aimed at, at pastors. And it's hosted by uh, Ray, um, Ray Ortland and Sam Aubrey. Ray is an older American Christian pastor, and Sam is a younger, some of you may have remembered, Sam came to, to us many years ago, British vicar. Uh, and so it's quite a unique kind of uh, amalgamation of America and Britain, um, and uh, perhaps a more charismatic church and uh, a church of England. So it's, 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 it's very interesting to listen to. And this po- podcast is about... Uh, growing or in some cases developing a gospel culture in your church. And when I was thinking about this, I thought, well, what does the dictionary define as culture? Well, it's the ideas, it's the customs, it's the social behavior of a particular group of people or particular society. It's the way we live. It's the life that we live. It's, it's uh, in this context that we want to grow in gospel culture. We want to grow in the way we live and a culture that represents and reflects the doctrines that we teach and preach. Now, one thing about culture, you can't create a culture on your own. Well, I suppose you can have your own little sense of me and my culture, but what we're talking about is not a culture we can develop on our own. Um, But we can either, as individuals, add to a culture or detract from it. And obviously, in what we're talking about, we're looking to try and add, as, as believers, to the culture of this church that will represent the doctrines that we teach. Now, as we go through this, and this really, this morning, is not going to be an exposition, or this is a, this is a chat, this is a talk, all right? Not, I mean, I know it's all talking, but it's, it's not so much an expositional preach. 
Um, and when we talk about culture, and as I go through some of the things this morning, the tendency can be to think, yeah, that's what that person needs to do, or that's what the church needs to do, or that's what particularly, when people talk about that's what the church needs to do, they normally mean Matt and I, uh, you know. <laughs> um, but that's what we need to do. I want us to think through what do, how it affects me, how it affects me, how... What about me? Not about the church corporate, but me. Looking at it from that perspective. Because we're all involved. We're all involved in creating our church culture. So in a, in a church situation, when we talk about culture and we talk about doctrine, there, there could be a tendency amongst us to either emphasize doctrine or culture. Some of us lean towards an emphasis of teaching and sound doctrine, which of course is absolutely important. While others of us are more focused on how we love and care for one another, which is important. In the same way, some of us would emphasize truth while others emphasize grace. Uh, but truth without grace is ugly. And grace without truth can be sentimental and lead to license. Ray Oakland, in his book, The Gospel, which I'd encourage you to read, it's, it's not a, it's not a Big book. Uh, it's, a, it's a great book that he wrote a number of years ago. Uh, Ray Oakland in his book, The Gospel, gives us equations. So for the mathematics amongst us, those are into equations. And You like equations? Andy's teach equations? No, I hate equations. You hate equations. <laughs> <laughs> um, he gives some equations that can help us define the connection of doctrine and culture. And more specifically, gospel doctrine and gospel culture. This is what he writes. Um, is this coming up? I think. Yeah. Good. Uh, by the way, I've got I've got notes for you to take away because I'm going to use quite a few quotes, and so you can take away some notes at the end. But I thought if I give them out to you in the beginning, you'll all be reading. You'll be you'll be at the end of the message because I'm still on the first point or the end of the talk. He writes this: gospel doctrine minus gospel culture equals hypocrisy. Gospel culture minus gospel doctrine equals fragility. Gospel doctrine plus gospel culture equals power. Or as I would perhaps enlarge that and say gospel doctrine plus gospel culture equals authenticity and brings glory to God. Mark Dever has, has a book written on the church and I love his subtitle. He just simply says, the gospel, the church, about the church, the gospel made visible. The gospel made visible. Visible. The very purpose of us as this church is to make the gospel visible. It is to represent as a, as a people what we teach. And so gospel culture plus gospel, sorry, gospel doctrine plus gospel culture equals power. Now as pastors of this church, our heart is to see a church that our culture, the way we live, <coughs> would reflect our doctrine, i.e. The, what we teach. And I want to say this before I go any further. For Matt and I, we see great evidences of gospel culture and evidences of God's grace in you folks. We really do. I don't want to see, I want them when people are thinking we're, we're teaching this because we're failing, but we all need to grow, every one of us. Um, we see God at work in our church. And when I listen to 
to uh, our friends Ray Altland and Sam Albury, I have to say in some things, I think, hey, that's good, that's good, but we got that. Or we have it to a measure. But we can always improve, we can always grow. And I also want to say this, and for Matt and I, this is not just me, we want to commend you as a church for the godly and gracious way that you have responded to Nathan and Claire's departure from our church. You have responded wonderfully, and we want to commend you for that. That's because of God's work in you. That's an evidence of God's grace in your life. And so thank you for that, and please keep praying for them. Keep praying for them. So this weekend, as I said, it's not because we think we're failing, but wherever we are in our walk with God, there is always room for growth. And one of the challenging things about preparing something like this is as you start to write and as you start to think about it, you start to think, yes, uh, me. <laughs> and the first challenge comes to yourself. And uh, I recognise my need for growth in many of the areas. But in cultivating gospel culture, it's not just about, you can start to worry, about getting everything right. Um, I want to encourage you by saying to you, you won't. We don't get everything right. If you've got everything right, I think you're, you're pretty well prepared, prepared for go to heaven right now, you know, if you've got that or, or such. We won't get it right. And as somebody once said, the test of the Christian life very often is not how we act, but how we react. What we, how, do we act, how do we react when we mess up? How do we react when we sin? How, how do we react when you walk out of here and perhaps you say something to somebody that's not representative of gospel culture? How do we react? How do we deal with it? How, what do we do when we sin and mess up? And that is, that is a test so much of our Christian lives. Do we... Do we go to God? Do we go to the person? Do we, and I'm not going to spend any time on this, but how, you can start to think to yourself, how should I react? What does the gospel say about reacting when I mess up? What do you do to God when you sin? So what should we, how should we respond to one another? As I said, this is not an inspiratory preach, but I want to spend some little time giving a, a kind of historical context by historical, I don't mean going way, way back, but over the last number of years, uh, a context, particularly since the time of uh, being part of Sovereign Grace, and also a biblical context uh, for our journey as Grace Church towards our growth of gospel culture, a doctrine producing gospel culture. I remember some years ago sitting with a, a number of leaders who was in a church in Slough, and Slough is a a real kind of multi, multinational. <laughs> Those of you who come you will know. I mean, it's, I think we had 28 or 29 racial groups in our church. I mean, it just is. I, I used to go and take assemblies in school where I literally didn't see a white person. White it was multicultural. I remember with the number of leaders in the, in the town, it's now a city, but it was a town then, and we were talking about uh, kingdom culture. What was, what was kingdom culture? We had these interesting and fascinating discussions and one person said to me somebody from an Asian background said uh, who was a Christian she said that for them it was appropriate to sit on the floor in times of song worship because it showed a reverence to God by taking the lowest position their culture would have had them sit on the floor um, 
to worship. In actual fact, some of this comes out of other religions, false religions, and in creeping into their culture that then came into the, uh, into the Christian setting. And we heard a variety of rooms, uh, views around, around the room of what kingdom culture looked look like. But if I'd have known what I understand now, I would have tried to have shifted that conversation away from cultural practices and turn our conversation more towards doctrine. Isaac Newton said, we all stand on the shoulders of others. You may have heard that expression before. We all stand on the shoulders of others. And we as pastors are grateful to God that we've been able to stand on the shoulders and the teaching and emphases of sovereign grace. Also, we stand on the shoulders of Christ Church Newport, who planted out Grace Church some 20 years ago. And as Matt said, we're going to celebrate that tomorrow. We're going to celebrate a little bit more in our service, giving thanks to God for God's, God's kindness and his faithfulness to us over 20 years. And our series in September will broaden our understanding of the virtues that shape us as a family of churches within Sovereign Grace and how that affects us. Sovereign Grace leadership team recently wrote these, they wrote these words, said, When the gospel of Jesus Christ is embraced, it produces a culture marked by the fruit of the gospel. All churches that have come to know the grace of God should prioritise and pursue those qualities that are in keeping with the message of grace. And we're grateful to God for the recent podcasts of Ray Oatland and Sam Albury, as they bring the same emphasis that first attracted us to Sovereign Grace in 1995. The emphasis, just, just to briefly tell you, because some of you are new that may not know, but the emphasis, the things that attracted us, the things that kind of drew us towards Sovereign Grace, although it's called PDI then, later called Sovereign Grace, the emphasis that attracted us was the centrality of the cross. The centrality of the cross, never moving on from the cross. A robust doctrine of sin that stood alongside a strong emphasis of grace. And I say that we won't fully understand, we won't fully understand grace until we start to really deepen our understanding of our own sinful selves. We don't realise how sinful, but grace makes it wonderful. It's like, it's like the, the, I think I was talking to somebody the other day and saying that, the, the, the jeweller puts, puts the diamond on a black cloth because it shows up, the, the diamond. And when we see the blackness, we see the horror of our sin before a holy God, and we deepen our understanding of that, we start to wonder really how grace is so amazing. We start to realise doctrines of grace. And to affect this application, to, to bring these truths into our personal lives, there was a real emphasis of, the, of, of, of not just keep listening to words and ministry, but applying, applying into our lives what we've heard. Now, I could say for me, and you'll have to answer this for yourself, but I can say, uh, even with this limited brain power, there's more in there than there is in here if you know what I mean. There's more I understand than I've worked out in my life. And one of the emphases within Sovereign Grace, and particularly within our, our home groups, is, is, is the application of 
those truths and those doctrines into our lives which is really what if you listen to Ray and Sam in, in their, uh, their, their You're Not Crazy podcast that's what they're emphasising the same thing the same thing in all in terms we wanted to ensure our culture reflected our doctrine and our growth in, in gospel culture requires the process of sanctification now some of you may have not have heard that word before um, uh, sanctification as Grudem defines it is a, 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 a is a progressive work of God and man that makes us more and more free from sin unlike Christ in our app in our actual lives. In other words, the application of the word of God and growing to become more, more like Christ. That is called progressive sanctification. And being like Christ, being like Jesus, will produce gospel culture. But it's equally important, going back to Ray Oatland's definition, it's also important that um, our culture is not fragile. A culture is not just built on, on good things that we think that are, are right for the church to do or how we're to be. You know, there, there are many clubs and societies that care for people, love people, are very good to people. But they're not built on doctrine. And what makes it strong for us is when I can, in my life, I can say, well, I forgive, not because I think it's right to forgive. I forgive because I've been forgiven. I welcome because I've been welcomed. I love because I've been loved. It's the doctrine that, that, that undergirds what we, how we live our lives. Romans 8 verse 29 says this, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Paul here is referring to the conformity of the children of God to the image of his son, to resemble his son, to be like his son. Some people talk to me about destiny. What's my destiny? Well, I'll tell you if you're a Christian what your destiny is. To be like Jesus and to live forever with him. That's your destiny. There may be other things as well, but that's your destiny. That's the thing that I can hang my life on. That's the thing I can be certain of. But until that day, until that day, when we meet him face to face, and the scripture said, then we shall be like him until that day. We're called to this work of progressive sanctification. And Christ being the ultimate model of gospel culture. C.J. Mahaney, writing about progressive sanctification, says this. Talking about progressive sanctification in the context of home groups. What we do in our groups. He says this, not every group is intent on this purpose, however. Some put a higher priority on socialising than on sanctification. Others excel in open sharing and sympathetic listening, yet never confront sin or challenge members to change. This is unacceptable. A group with an unbiblical purpose can do more harm than good. Groups that meet without the biblical purpose of pursuing character development have the tendency to reinforce rather than confront the sin and selfishness already present in us. This is why we do group the way we do it. And we need to progress in that. We need to grow in that. We need to um, develop that more and more. 
without missing out on the, the caring of one another, without missing out on, on praying for one another and, and reaching out into our community. But that is the main purpose in our group. And although one's personal responsibility for sanctification remains paramount, sanctification cannot be accomplished in isolation from the church. You know, we're called, we're called personally, aren't we? We have a personal saviour. We have been... We've been won by Christ personally. But we're called then into a family. You know, the Apostle Paul, when he talks in, 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 in the letters, uh, he writes, he talks about, we, he uses terms like we, us, our. We're born into a family, the family of God. We are joint heirs with Christ. And so the process of sanctification happens in family. There's individual responsibility, sure, but it's in uh, the family. And who's the family? It's us. It's, you know, we, we often use the term church family because we want to always emphasize that. It's a family. It's not an organization. Our Sp C. Sproul says this, it is both foolish and wicked to suppose that we will make progress in sanctification if we isolate ourselves from the visible church. Indeed, it is commonplace to hear people declare that they don't need to unite with the church to be a Christian. They claim that their devotion is personal or private, not institutional or corporate. This is not the testimony of great saints of history. It is the confession of fools. It's the confession of fools. We've been brought into a family, and it's in that family context that we grow in our sanctification and we grow to be like Jesus. We will make mistakes, we will blow it, we will make errors along the way. And as I said earlier, it's how we respond to those errors, errors become key for us. The purpose of scripture, other than telling us God's wonderful story of redemption, is to provoke obedience and produce definitive change in our lives. And the purpose of our groups is to be a means of grace to help us in our growth. CJ again. Simply reading your Bible and listening to good preaching won't make you like Jesus. Each of these disciplines is essential for the Christian life, and each is a vital means of grace. Neither is sufficient in itself. In fact, biblical knowledge is potentially deceptive if obedience doesn't take place. A few weeks ago, I spoke about applying the gospel in all areas of our lives, and I just want to come back into some of that, because applying the gospel, to kind of talk with others, Applying the gospel is not the same as applying the imperatives and commands of scripture, although that's important. I'm not minimizing the importance of that. Do you know what I mean? The, the, there's many things in scripture that, that we are commanded to do. We are instructed to do. They're the imperatives, if you like, of scripture. And these are important. Important to obey. But it's the gospel doctrine and the effect of the gospel in our lives that will produce gospel culture. So at the heart of the gospel is God's mercy. God's mercy. That each of us sit in this room, God has not given us what we deserved. That's his mercy. We deserved his wrath. You know, we often say, uh, well, around many of us, how are you doing today? I think Karen's got hold of it now. Uh, when we're in the office, I'm doing better than I deserve. Better than I deserve. I don't deserve this. You don't deserve this. You don't deserve to be sitting here. It's only because of God's mercy. And God's grace that gives us what we don't deserve. 
We don't deserve his grace, but he gives it to us. God is so gracious. He forgives us of all our sins, past, present and future. And he has welcomed us into his family. And we're accepted in the beloved by God. And I don't know whether, is it on there? Matt, Matt, the, the, the quote from King James. Matt was saying, why have I gone back to King James? Uh, quote from King James. Is it on? Yeah, King James. It's because I love the terminology, which is not in some of the other translations, translations that says, to the praise of, his, of the glory of his grace, wherein he has made us accepted in the beloved. We're accepted in the beloved. We're not just accepted. More than that. It's because of Christ, because we're in Christ. We're accepted in the beloved. Who's the beloved? Christ. We're accepted in him. And this is the very heart of the gospel. God's mercy. God's grace. Forgiveness. Welcoming. Being accepted. And this is the heart that God wants his church to live out. This is the heart of the gospel. And it's this gospel that has so wonderfully changed not only our lives but our destiny. And our groups, our groups are the places where in a context of love and acceptance, i.e. the gospel, we can only openly share and apply the gospel so that we can grow and grow and become more and more like Jesus. Romans 15, verse 7. We, we actually sang this, didn't we, earlier, about God welcoming us, one of the lines in one of the songs. Romans 15, 7 just doesn't say, uh, it says, he says this to, to, to the believers, therefore welcome one another, as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. And when the scriptures say we're to welcome one another, sorry, I keep moving away from this, I probably shouldn't be doing that, should I? But welcome one another like Christ has welcomed us. That's not, I'm sure you know this, but that's not how we, about how we greet one another on a Sunday. <laughs> or how, how, you know, the welcome we give. Or when people turn up here and, oh, it's great to see People welcomed. I hope you've all felt welcomed as you turn up. But it's much, much more than that. It is the way that God has accepted us. It's the way he's received us, just as we are. And it's that acceptance, it's that that needs to, what God wants us to work out in our gospel culture towards one another. It's that that permeates, because I have been accepted, because I am accepted in the beloved. And I'm accepted and loved just as I am by God. Before I changed. God didn't wait for me to change. He'd have waited to eternity. That would be the case. He loved me just as I am. And the most wonderful thing for me is he, he even saw down the passage of time. And he, he saw how I'd mess up as a Christian. And yet he still accepted me. He still accepted me. He still loves me and that's what paul is saying that's how we should welcome one another that's how we should receive one another in the same way that acceptance you know there's nothing more you and i can do to be loved by god anymore you are loved you're accepted in the beloved you're accepted in christ he loves you because you're in christ he loves me because I'm in Christ. And there's nothing you can do, as the scriptures tell us, that nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Your sin, what you go and do, where you mess up, where you make a mistake, that won't separate you if you're in Christ. 
Because it would have to mean that God's separated from his son. Because you're in Christ. And because of that, we, that the, Paul says, in that same way as we've come to understand that way that God has loved us and accepted us and welcomed us, if you like, using that term, he says that's how we're to welcome one another. That produces gospel culture. That will affect how we are together. You know, God's love for us is not sentimental. It's not a sentimental love. I'm not saying that God doesn't feel, but it's not a sentimental kind of love. But it's a strong love. It's a love that never wavers. It's a love that will address us when, because he so loves us and disciplines us because he loves us so much. The Old Testament calls this love hesed. It's a, love, a great Hebrew term. A great Hebrew term. Some of, some of the guys who go way back will know of a pastor, who, a friend of ours, who just recently went to be with the Lord. It was like, Hesed was his thing. It was on the name of the church. It was on his doorfront. It was in, in everything. Hesed was all over the place. But this man had got hold of this truth. Hesed, what does it mean? It means God is covenanted to us in love. It's more than just the kind of love that we might share to each other. God is bound to us in love. When we see in the, in, in the Old Testament, it talks about uncon, uh, everlasting love. It's this unconditional love, this hesed love that he has. And God gives us in, in, in 1 Corinthians 13, gives us a picture of how God's love is not based on feeling, although we want to feel, but that love that we see in 1 Corinthians 13, gives us a blueprint for how we're to love one another. It's, it, it's, it's not just about how we feel to one another. It's, it's active. Be patient, be kind. You can do those things. You, you may not necessarily know the person that much to have strong feelings, but we can still love one another in the way the scriptures define. And the starting point of our walk with God is accepting Christ's love and work on the cross for us. And I would suggest the next priority is, our, is in our walk with God. Is our love for one another. As described in 1 Corinthians 13. So often, and I, you know, this, this really blessed me listening to uh, Ray Altland. Uh, so often we think that, you know, we come to Christ and then, first of all, the, the next thing is we've got to be out there. Witnessing. Mission. Listen to what Jesus said in, and this is where Ray, Ray picks it up, from John 13, verse 34. He said, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you're my disciples, if you have love for one another. Our love for one another is part of the mission. Is important to the mission. It will have an effect in our society. The building of a gospel culture in a loving community becomes the basis and authenticity of the mission. You know, I've often thought, why didn't, why didn't Jesus say, why didn't he say, by your love for me? Why didn't he say, by your love for me, men will know you're my disciples? That seemed to make more sense almost. Love, I'm, I'm showing I'm a disciple because I love Jesus. But he's saying, you love for one another. 
Because you know that's, that's tougher, isn't it? That's tougher. It's easier for me to love Jesus than love others. It's much easier. It's our love for one another that causes people to recognize that we're disciples of Jesus. Francis Schaeffer says this, four things that should mark a gospel-created church. Sound doctrine. Matt, Matt's going to do all this tomorrow, so he's going to soak all this, bring all this out. Sound doctrine, honest answers to honest questions, true spirit, spirituality, and the beauty of human relationships. He says, but the, yet the last of those four, the beauty of human relationships, is the first thing that outsiders are likely to notice when they enter a church. True beauty makes people stop and stare. But if we do not show true beauty in the way we treat others, then in the eyes of the world and in the eyes of our own children, we are destroying the truth that we proclaim. And I'm very... No Little People, wonderful book by Francis Schaeffer. If you have a chance to read it, it's just great. But it's, it's, uh, it's, it's true beauty. People, people will look at the church. They will, they will look at how we are together. And that will speak so much to them of the gospel. 2 Corinthians 2, verses 15, 16. Love this text. It says, For we are the aroma of Christ. Talking about us here in this room. We are the aroma of Christ to God amongst those who are being saved among, and among those who are perishing. To one a fragrance from death to death, to the other a fragrance from life to life, who is sufficient for these things. You see, it's not just about how much we know. It's not, I, as I said earlier, uh, you, you may feel differently, but I, know, I think I know more in my head than I know and I walked out in my life. It's not about just how much we know. But it is in the context of body of people how we reflect Christ. Are we, are we the aroma of Christ to God? You know, over the years we've were, um, blessed by Jerry Bridges material a number of us in the church have been and jerry bridges encourages us to preach the doctrine the gospel to ourselves daily you've probably heard that so many times we've often repeated it but preaching the gospel as i was thinking about this subject i was thinking about this that not only reminds me of god's forgiveness his grace his mercy and his acceptance into his family but it also permeates me in such a way that affects how we see and relate to our brothers and sisters in Christ. By preaching the gospel to myself, I'm reminding myself of those things. I'm reminding of those elements. I'm reminding myself that that's how I should be. It affects how we see and relate to our brothers and sisters in Christ. David Powlison, just, just a one line, he said, when our gaze awakens to the gaze of God, we have started to see, seeing clearly, we can love well. Seeing clearly, first of all, the gaze of God, we, started to, we start to see. We, see every, we don't fully see until we see through, through, through that gaze on God, on Christ. We start to see and then seeing clearly, we can love well. And these elements, these truths of the gospel, at the heart of the gospel, and they will fuel and grow our gospel culture.
I'm going to conclude now with, I couldn't help, as I said this is not a preach in that normal sense of an expository preach, but actually go into the gospel. Ephesians 5 verse 25 tells us that Christ died for his church. Scripture that causes many people problems because didn't he die for everybody? But he, Paul says he died for his church. And John Flavel, some of you may have heard this before. I, I just love this. John Flavel, who's a Puritan theologian, he kind of recreates an imaginary conversation between God the Father and God the Son in eternity past. Now, get that context. It's not now. It's in eternity past, before even the foundation of the world. And the Father says, My son, speaking to Jesus, here is a company of poor, miserable souls that have, become, that, are, that have utterly undone themselves and now lie open to my justice. Justice demands satisfaction for them or will satisfy itself in the eternal ruin of them. What should be done for these souls? The sons reply, Oh, my father, such is my love and pity for them that rather that they should perish eternally, I will be responsible for them as their guarantee. Bring all your bills, that I may see what they owe you. Lord, bring them all in, that there may be no after-reckonings with them. At my hand you will require it. I would rather choose to suffer your wrath than they suffer it. Upon me, Father, be all their debt. Father turns to the son, but my son, if you undertake for them, you must pay the last penny. Expect no discounts. If I spare them, I will not spare you. Son, I am willing. Father, let it be so. Charge it all to me. I am able to pay their debt. And though it will undo me, though it will impoverish all my riches and empty all my accounts, yet I am content to undertake it. What a glorious picture. Imaginary it might be. Created by this, this godly man. What a picture of what may have taken place, not necessarily quite the same way, but in the courts of heaven. It might be imaginary, but it's, all, it's gloriously true of Christ's work of salvation. And as Ray Orland says, we didn't ruin. We didn't ruin God's plan. We are his plan. Before the very foundation of the earth, we didn't ruin it. We are his plan, his eternal plan, to love the undeserving for the display of his glory alone. Christ gave himself up for his church. He died for his bride. The church's sins were forever paid for on the cross. Jesus paid it all. We sing that, don't we? Great song. Jesus paid it all. But he paid it all. The, as, as, as we saw in that little kind of story or, or talk, imaginary talk, that cup of wrath that was meant for us was drunk completely dry. Completely dry. Not a drop left. When we get to heaven, it's not that God is saying, well, you know, we've forgiven you, but there's a few things we need to sort out, guys. 
is a few things you need to drink. No. He drunk it dry. He paid all our debts. There is nothing left for us to pay. And this is the gospel. God's forgiveness, our welcome, our acceptance, God's mercy. This is new. His mercy, new every morning. Do you get up this morning? New every morning. My sin of yesterday should have caused me to die, but his mercy was new to me this morning. I woke up alive. It's grace that's brought us safe this far, and it's grace that will lead us home. The gospel is to be the bedrock of my culture, your culture, our culture. And it's to be a culture that is not hypocritical, neither is it fragile, but it's powerful in its authenticity and it brings glory to God. And this morning we are going to break bread together. And I've just said, perhaps the band if you'd like to come, I've got a few things to say, but I've just said Christ died for his church, Christ died for each one of us. And as I was preparing this, I was thinking, you know, as we're away at camp, it's it, oh, weekend, it's, it's easier here because it's the church here. On Sunday morning, there are others who are not part of the church. And I was thinking about this, and I, this might sound a strange thing, but I'd like you just to look around the room and see your brothers and sisters in Christ. And see that each one of us in this room, as you look around, just look around. Christ died not only for you, but for them. And each one is a precious trophy of Christ. Every single one. Every single one has been accepted in the beloved. Isn't that wonderful? To know we're not on our own. We're a family. This is our church. We see one another as not just brothers and sisters, but as joint heirs with Christ. Those that Christ died for. He died for Jonathan, he died for um, Andy, he died for <laughs> Noah, I couldn't think of Noah's name. It's, it, you know, it gets really difficult as you get older. <laughs> he died for each one of us. I must stop doing that because I've got a bit problems. <clears throat> when Paul... Paul in 1 Corinthians, we often read, don't we, from 1 Corinthians 11 when we come around the Lord's table. It's a table prepared for us. He challenges the Corinthian church regarding their neglect of one another. Neglecting one another and yet they come to the Lord's table. Celebrating Christ's sacrificial death and their oneness. That's what it's about. That's the oneness. And yet they were neglecting, and he had strong words for them. Celebrating their oneness, but they didn't appropriately care for Christ's body. Obviously, there was a deficiency in their gospel culture. And Ted Portrip says this, We are relational beings who have been called to lifetime community with God and others. Part, I love this, part of God's purpose in corporate worship, part of what's been taking place today, is to correct your vision about those relationships. If you're not looking at your relationships through the lens of God's amazing grace, you're not seeing those relationships accurately. So gathering after gathering is intended 
to enthrall you with the grandeur of God's grace that you can't think of anything better than being at all of that grace in the lives of others. So here we are together in God's family, but seeing and being reminded every time we gather on a Sunday morning, be reminded that we're a family together and to be a tool of God's grace in the lives of others. As we break bread together, let us resolve to care for Christ's body, the church, one another, and to treat one another as joint heirs with Christ. And before we actually break bread, I'd just like us to have a time of reflection, just for a few moments. And perhaps ask, the, ask these questions, answer, try and answer these questions. Do we recognize our need to grow? Do we see ourselves as a tool of grace in the lives of others? And do we treat one another as joint heirs with Christ? Just meditate, there's three things there. Recognize I need to grow. I trust we will all just simply say yes. Do we see ourselves as tall of grace? Do we treat one another as joint heirs with Christ? Oh, what a saviour. What a saviour. And this morning, Lord, we stand with open arms in awe. In awe of you. The King of heaven living in us. The, the Son of God dying in our place. What a saviour. What a salvation that we have received. And Lord, this morning it is with grateful hearts that we break bread. Forgive us, Lord, if we just do this just out of, that's what we do every now and again. But Lord, as we partake of the bread and the wine, remembering the cost for our salvation, Remember your broken body, the shedding of your blood. Suffering at the hands of those you had created. Why would you do this? But Lord, you looked down through the passage of time and you saw a people. You saw a people that you would redeem and one day display in heaven as the trophies of your grace. Lord, thank you this morning that we should even be considered to be part of that eternal, eternal future, eternal. It's amazing to think that's what is going to take place. So thank you, Lord. Thank you So we take this bread and we drink this wine. We remember your sacrifice and Lord we do it together as a body forgive us Lord when we messed up forgive us when we haven't shown gospel culture Lord help us grow help me to grow help each one of us to grow Lord let it be a strong desire within us that both as a church and individual as individuals 
it would not be said of us that we've got a doctrine but we haven't got a culture and it's, it just shows hypocrisy but let it be a doctrine and a culture that brings glory to your name.